one through IT. The word, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that <clears throat> excuse me. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human de- decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He has sent his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we all have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen. Thank you, Dora. Lord Jesus, I just one more time come and I ask for you to uh, help me as I teach your word. I pray, um, God, that you would put a watch over my lips and that only what would proceed would be right and accurate and good and helpful. Um, Maybe not easy. It's not always easy. But God, helpful that you would use it uh, to sanctify, to purify, to bless, and to move us to a greater and deeper faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I think I may have mentioned this a few months back in one of my messages, but I'm going to mention it again because I think it's very... Um, ties in very well to where we're at this morning, but have you ever heard of the space race? Many of you, no doubt, were probably very familiar with this back in the 50s and 60s, and I think even in the early 70s. Um, there was this competition between, uh, I guess, what was the Soviet Union and the United States for supremacy in space flight. And um, 
Though this was before my time, I gather from what I've read that uh, this was uh, happened or developed during the Cold War era, which was a product of World War II um, for many reasons. And uh, when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, I think it was called, in, uh, I guess it looks like October 4th, 1957, if I have my date right, uh, it was the world's first artificial satellite. And just a month late month later, they launched another satellite that actually had a passenger, uh, Leica, uh, dog. It was called the Rocket Dog, Leica the, the Rocket Dog. And many began to speculate at that time. I think there was a lot of anxiety because people began to speculate whether or not Russia would be capable of launching nuclear missiles. If they could send a satellite into space, surely they could bomb us all the way from over there. And so there was this anxiety. So a race began. And the U.S. was scrambling to say, okay, what can we do? We need to respond. We need to, you know, Russia's doing all these great things. And in 1961, President Kennedy announced that he believed that our nation should set the goal of funding and trying to get to the moon, basically. Get a person on the moon. And uh, that dream became a reality some years later, right, when Neil Armstrong um, in 1969 in the summer, uh, for us, the summer, um, Apollo 11 touched down, or the lunar module landed on the moon, and he uttered those very famous words, as um, probably most of y'all could, could quote it, right? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But out of all of that uh, interesting um, stuff, it was said that a saying emerged during that time period that an inch on the earth is a mile on the moon. Maybe you've heard that uh, phrase before. You don't need to know a lot about NASA or the distance between uh, earth and the moon to, to understand kind of what that means. If you're a hunter, if you go outside, right, and, or if you own a gun, it's much easier to say if shooting hit the wall right there from this range than it is to shoot a few hundred yards and try and hit a, a moving target or an animal out in the woods. There's less margin for error when your distance is great, right? So when your target's an average of almost 240,000 miles away, um, and both the platform and the moon are both moving, it's very difficult, right, to, uh, you know, boggles the mind how they've made that happen and actually got to the moon and landed on it. But the point I'm getting at with all this interesting gobbledygook here is uh, that how you start is pretty important. Um, how you get going is pretty important. So how you aim, you know, what you set your sights on is all very important. And even the slightest deviation from that over time will be felt largely, right, in a great way. So today, uh, at the first Sunday of 2016, in many ways, we're making a new start together. Uh, we're launching again, if you will, into a new year of ministry and life together as a corporate body. And so, even though I'm following the lectionary readings um, for a season here, and uh, this was the gospel reading uh, for today out of John 1, it seems quite appropriate to be exactly where we are. The first uh, phrase in our passage today says, In the beginning. And it has um, an especially nice ring this Sunday, right? Because, again, we're in many ways beginning once again into a new year. And maybe we're thinking about new beginnings. Most Bible readers, when they hear that phrase, in the beginning, are going to think what? You're going to think back to maybe Genesis 1, right? Well, that's very intentional. I think John may maybe even have had Genesis 1 in view here when he wrote those uh, famous words. 
So again, beginnings are very much on our mind, and I think even we're on John's mind maybe as he penned this passage in some ways. And so, so what I want to talk about this morning is new beginnings. This is a deep, deep theological text. There's a ton of good, rich, deep stuff here. And I'm not going to get all into the technicalities of the theological this and that or whatever as much as I'd love to. And I enjoy that kind of stuff. And it would be good to do that this morning. We're going to talk about the year ahead of us. And I'm going to try and use some things out of John 1 to propel us in that direction. So that's what's on my heart. And I hope and and pray and believe maybe in some way that that's on your heart as well as we embark on a new year together. Okay, well let's let John chapter 1 set the agenda for us, okay? And if we do that, um, again, assuming that maybe in some way um, John had beginnings in his mind here. I don't think that's a problem for us at all uh, to let John set the agenda for us. Uh, The big problem that's presented here in John 1 as you read this passage is what? What's the big problem here? The big problem is that humanity does not know God. That's the big problem that's overwhelmingly comes through this passage. And providentially, those of you who were here last week, um, I read through John 1 and we talked about it very briefly last week as well. And so uh, this will be good. Maybe this will be a little bit of a refresher. But um, there are some things, some some verses, some striking phrases here that I'm going to mention, uh, draw out for us, that will show us that this is quite clearly um, the problem that John sees um, going on here. So look at verse 10, right? The world was made through Jesus Christ, yet what? It did not know him. Even though he was in the world, it says, the world did not recognize him. Even though he came to his own, he did, they did not receive him. His own did not receive him. Right? So that's striking. The maker of the world, the one who made you and me, the one who made all that we see, the one who is echoed in everything we see, in each other, in creation, came to this place and we didn't recognize him. That's a big problem and that's coming through the passage here. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you have dealt with this in your own life. Maybe there's a relative or a friend that you know that has dementia or Alzheimer's. Right? Some of y'all have dealt with it in a very powerful way. My father has dementia. Thank God he's not to that stage yet where he doesn't recognize or maybe even know some of his own family. But I'll never forget personally when I went to see my great-grandmother when I was a boy of maybe 10 or 12 years old. And she lived in the mountains of North Carolina. And my grandmother had moved up there to help, um, I guess, you know, to visit with her. She was retired at the time and she wanted to be close to the home where she was staying. So uh, she moved up there so she could visit with her daily at the, at the nursing home where she lived, where her, her mom lived. And I remember coming in, I came into the nursing home, and I spotted my great-grandmother immediately. Oh, there she is. She was coming down the hall in her wheelchair. And I ran right up to her, and she said, Get away from me! Stop it! Like, angry. And, of course, I was 10 or 12, something like that at the time. And she started waving her hands at me, making a big scene. Everybody's looking at me. I'm like, did I do something wrong? You know, I'm not pointing a gun at you or what, you know, what's, what's going on here? I don't understand it. And later on, my grandmother, Sarah, pulled me aside and explained that, unfortunately, a few months before that, she was out and about and some teenage boys were poking fun at her. And, you know, which is really tragic. I don't know if she was, you know, out at a restaurant or what she was doing. 
but they were they were making fun of my great grandmother, and uh, she was very disturbed by this, and so she just assumed immediately that I was one of them, right? But my point is, she didn't recognize me. She didn't even see plainly as I was coming up to her. This is my great grandson here, coming up to me, and that stuck out for me. You know, I, there's very few things I remember from that point in my life. That's one of them. I remember that, right? And that's just one instance. So maybe some of y'all live with this sort of thing with a relative. And it's hard. It's extremely difficult. I know some of our own um, have gone through this very recently. Um, But God made us, crafted us in his own image, made the world so that it would reflect his beauty. And he came down and we did not recognize him. This is the big dilemma here in John chapter 1. So what I want to talk about again this morning as we embark on a new year together is how do we know God, right? Because this is our inclination, if this is our propensity as we begin a new year, what are some things we can do? How can we start the new year off right and get, get on that right foot, that right trajectory to knowing God better this year in 2016? So I'm going to try and give you just a few points um, to, uh, to think about. So I don't assume uh, in this message, and neither does John. Again, if we take John's assumptions, looking at John chapter 1, if we take his assumptions, I don't assume that our needle is pointed towards God all the time, you know. We're usually like the, the opposite end of the magnet. We're usually, you know, dinging away from God and wanting to do our own thing and, and pursue our own kind of agenda. Um, so that's going to be my, my default assumption this morning is that we need some help, right? And uh, so I'm hoping to to give us a few pointers and tips for us in 2016. And I'm just going to say this right up front. None of this is going to be, you know, something you're going to maybe necessarily write home about. I'm not going to say anything that's probably news to most of you. This is going to be, for those of you who have walked with God for a long time, just good, solid reminders for you, okay? So... um, but good to be reminded and exhorted. And maybe for some of you this, this will be new. I don't, I don't want uh, to assume by any means. But, um, but most likely you're going to have heard a lot of this at some point. Okay, so getting to know God better in 2016. One of the things we need to think about and that John wants to draw to our attention here is our sources. Okay, sources are extremely important. All right? So when you don't have direct access to something, or you're not an expert in your own right on something, what do you do? You go to someone who does have the access to the knowledge, or to the person, or to the subject, or who is an expert, right? Or at least that's what you should do. So if I want to know something about, um, you know, law... I might go to one of the students or a lawyer, right? I don't, I don't know that world. So I might say, hey, you can send out an email, ask a question, whatever. If I want to know how to plant a blueberry bush, Lord knows coming from Charlotte, I didn't have a clue about planting the blueberry bush. So I might go to someone who's got some or someone who I've seen has some success. Or I might go down to Dandelion Acres or somewhere like that, right, and pick the brain of the people down there. Or if I want to know something about football, I might ask Ron Rivera, the best coach in the NFL, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so most of y'all got that, I'm glad. Um, right, I might go to him. Um, if I'm doing a research project or I want to know something, right? I, point is, you go to an expert. If you're not an expert, you go to someone who has the knowledge or at least access to the knowledge. So what you're going to see lots of times, and unfortunately, when you get in these discussions about things, you're going to find that we oftentimes overstep our boundaries. And that doesn't mean you can't say something about something that you don't know, you know, not an expert in. 
otherwise we'd probably never end up talking about much of anything, would we? Um, so I don't want to go that far. But what you're going to find is too often that you're going to see antagonists, you're going to see folks that maybe disagree with a certain position, reference sources that are quite lousy. Right? Um, and this is going somewhere, I promise. So, and I think this is very, very relevant to what we're talking about in our passage today. But too often you're going to see things like this. You're going to see folks online or in a book make an argument against an idea or a group maybe that they don't like. So it's really com- common to see like atheists will use radical Islam as an example of how religion is destructive and, and terrible and whatever. Well, that, that's not... That, that's, that's using a fringe group, making a generalization across the whole board of all religion, right? Or they'll cite Westboro Baptist, right? This radical, sort of very bigoted and wild and crazy maniacal group, um, which I think they're in Kansas, and saying that, oh, look, all Christians are this way, all Christians are that way. Well, that's not true at all, right? So sources are very important. It's ludicrous to use some of the fringe groups to make generalizations about something. Don't build your case on something like that is the point. So when it comes here to John 1, when it comes to knowing God, John 1 gives us a very key piece of information about sources here, okay? It says this in verse 18. Look with me if you've got your Bible open. No one has ever seen God. So kind of the, the question is, well, how can we know Him, right? Never even seen Him. How can we know him? That's kind of the thought maybe that's running through your mind. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And who is it speaking of, of course? All this is speaking about Jesus, right? Jesus. So who is the one and only? Who is at the Father's side? Jesus. And oftentimes, I'm going to say a little bit more about this, but oftentimes Jesus is depicted at being depicted as being at the right hand of God. You'll see this in Scripture a lot. Like Colossians 3.1 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is being stoned to death, right? He, the heavens open up and he sees Jesus. And where's Jesus? Jesus is at the right hand of God. And in fact, in this instance, standing, as it were, in honor of Stephen. There's all these places where Jesus is depicted at the right hand. And in ancient times, a person with, with high or the highest rank, he would stand to the, to the king's right side. And even today, you, you might hear someone be called, oh, it's his right hand man, right? You've heard that phrase before, a wing man or something like that. That just means that he or she serves as the closest person to another leader. And it's very, very significant in ancient times. And we've we as maybe as much today don't, don't see that sort of symbolism there, but it's very much real in the scriptures. But some com- commentators would suggest that here in verse 18, that it's not side that's being referred to, or right side or whatever. But this should be better translated, who is in the bosom of the Father. I'm not a Greek expert. I know a little bit. I can kind of, I do know enough to kind of do some rough translation here or there. So I'm depending upon the scholars, but that's, that's what many of the commentators suggest, is that this phrase here is the idea of being in the bosom of the Father, not the side. But either way, the main point from verse 18 that's being communicated here is that Jesus is the one in view, first of all, and that He has a special closeness and intimacy and knowledge of God the Father like no other. That's the point. And then comes these glorious words here. He has made him known. 
So Jesus, and thinking about sources here, right? Jesus, the eternally existent person who was with God. All that stuff you see in verses 1 through 5. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All of that is Jesus. Jesus, this eternally existent person who was with God in the beginning and is God himself, as it says in those verses, and through whom the world and all that is in it was made. That Jesus, who has special access and closeness to God, has come down in the flesh and made God the Father known. There is no better source to knowing God than Jesus Christ, is the point. You want to know God? You start with Jesus. That's the place to go. So the big dilemma that the world did not know God, that the world is separated from God and estranged from God, and we don't even recognize Him, this big problem, that is the problem that Jesus came to fix. And of course, His rejection was a part of the plan all, all along, right? So that there could be this way that was made for us to have fellowship with God. But his big part of what Jesus came to do was to reveal God to us. So the place to start, again, I'm emphasizing this because it's the most important point that I'm going to say today. If you don't get anything else, hear this, okay? The place to start in 2016, according to John, if we want to know God better and grow closer to Him, is Jesus. Because it's Jesus that reveals God to us. And there is no better source, okay? So in the next few minutes, I'm just going to give you a few nuggets based upon the teaching of Jesus Christ about how you might get to know God a bit better in 2016, okay? And again, there's no secrets here. Y'all gonna, this is going to be stuff that's probably pretty familiar to you. Okay, the first one, right? And I think Jesus would echo this and amen this, okay? Again, assuming we're coming to Christ first, the first thing I want to say to you is spend time in your Bible, right? And you've got all the points right there in your, uh, in your insert or your outline so that, again, you can follow along. I'm just going to unpack those just a touch for us. But the first thing that comes, I think, comes directly out of our passage in John 1 is that if you want to know God more in 2016, you need to be reading and studying your Bible. Okay, now on the back side, excuse me, of your insert, I've got a list of some Bible study, Bible reading programs you can find online. If you need help getting one of those, I'd be glad to get you a PDF and print it off or whatever. I can do that for you. Those are just a few suggestions. There's hundreds. So there's just a few that I stumbled across and then I know a little bit about. So this week, I read some articles online by some evangelical leaders who feel very strongly that one of the greatest dangers facing maybe the Christian church in America today is Bible illiteracy. Christians just do not know their Bibles. So many of the problems I think that we're facing, and, and this is echoed all over the internet, so it's not just my little opinion, though I do, I, I do feel strongly about this. Many of the problems we're facing as a church are a direct result of Bible ignorance. Okay, so we know this in other places, and this shouldn't surprise us when it comes to the spiritual world, okay? So think about the workplace, right? Ignorance can lead to a great deal of problems. Just think very practically about this. If a guy's answering phones, and he doesn't know how to transfer a call over to the sales department, he gets a call, oh yeah, I'd like to buy, you know, one of those new Keurig thingamajigs, whatever. Oh yeah, sure, I'll transfer you. Okay, bloop, and he hangs up on him. And he keeps doing that all day long, hanging up on people, hanging up on people, hanging up on people, hanging up on people. He thinks he's doing it, right? He's ignorant, right? He's just not hitting the button. He doesn't know what he's doing. 
Well, that creates a big problem, right? That's putting a dent in sales. I'd be pretty frustrated if I were the manager, right? So that's a, a real silly practical example, but ignorance really can hurt. I was the uh, subject of um, some really sad, uh, an, ex an example of, of great ignorance when I was in construction. And uh, I used to put together these, I get these emails from my boss probably once a month or something like that. And they were these, what was called comma delimited files. And I had to take this kind of goofy looking file, you know, all this data in it or whatever, and reformat it into something that was usable for our sales team. We paid a company a fair amount of money so they'd send the, collect this information and send it to us. And I'd reformat it and send it out. But what it was is a bunch of building permits, right? So it's a huge list of building permits with the builder and the location, the address, phone numbers, all that kind of stuff. And I would reformat it, get it to the salespeople. They could call and they could say, oh, I see that you're building such and such over here. You know, I'd like to come out and show you a demonstration of what we do. And it was huge for our sales, right? Well... I was ignorant of the fact that our sales team needed these by certain dates and whatnot. And I'll never forget, again, one of those moments that etched in my brain forever when I'm just kind of out and about doing my thing and I get a call from the owner of the company. And uh, this is a relatively large company, so this was not real common that you get a call from the owner. And I am like, wow, the owner is calling me. And I don't know whether to be excited or scared. Um, and, of course, uh, he was in Atlanta, sitting there with the sales team, wondering where this report was that I was supposed to send out. And, uh, and he said, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm up at the store buying some inventory. And he cut me off and said, get back to the office now. He said, drop what you're doing. I don't care what it is. If you're at the hospital with your mom, drop it. No, he didn't say that. Um, he said, drop it. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But he said, drop it and get over there and put the file uh, together. So, and I did. Obviously, I dropped what I was doing, went back, I, feel, I got it done, whatever. But he had flown to Atlanta that day on the company jet to be with the sales team for that purpose of going through these files and calling these people and trying to boost sales in Atlanta. So it's pretty important to have this, this report there, but I didn't know it. I didn't know they needed it by that date, so I was just kind of like, well, I'll get to them end of the week, whatever, not a big deal. So I could have lost my job, right? So ignorance, again, that's another really silly example, but it's a, it's a very real example, right? Ignorance can lead to all kinds of mistakes. And on a spiritual level, we're talking more of sin kind of stuff. It can be real practical mistakes too, but we're talking more of the like moral kind of department to where ignorance can really lead to a lot of moral issues. Why? Why should we study our Bibles, okay? Not just so we can have this big collection of, of data and facts in our head. Oh, you know, this King Saul was the first king in Israel, then was David, and then, you know, it was Solomon, and then all these random facts. No, that's not why we study our Bibles. We study our Bibles because Jesus is the Word incarnate. Jesus is the Word enfleshed. And if we want to know the Lord Jesus, we have got to get in our Bibles. In the beginning, it says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What's it going to say? I think it's in verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Who was that? It was Jesus, right? Very clearly, there's this connection. So you cannot know Jesus apart from the Word. Jesus... Though Jesus affects our feelings, and Jesus had feelings, Jesus was not, say, a feeling. Jesus is not just an abstract idea that's kind of out there and wherever. 
Jesus is not a set of rules. And I think for a lot of this, us, this is probably the point that we're going to struggle with, is that Jesus isn't, following Jesus isn't just following rules. This is why our passage, if you look at verse 17, right, there's a, there's a distinction made between Moses who gave the law and what Jesus gave. Jesus gave uh, uh, with grace and truth, came with grace and truth. So while the, while the law reflected the character of God, it was not God. So say just knowing the law or just obeying the law is not following God. That's what the Pharisees goofed up, right, in the New Testament, all over the place. So Jesus is not a set of rules. Jesus is not a place. Jesus is not a picture. Again, there's a reason why our passage today emphasizes that nobody has ever seen God in verse 18. We can't see Him. So there has to be some other way to know Him. Some other access point to God. And that way, that access, mainly is through the written Word. That's mainly where it's at. Yeah, we see God in nature. We, we see God and experience God in our traditions, in our relationships, and many other places. But mainly, it's through the written word. Jesus is a person. So think of it this way. Can you know your spouse if you never talk to each other? Ever? No. You can't. You've got to communicate. Or your kids, or your neighbor, or anybody. Communication is absolutely essential to knowing somebody. Even people who are mute and can't speak can make motions and can do things, can communicate. Of course, it's much harder. Speech is an essential part of, of communication for 99% of the population, but body language and all that plays a role as well. So the Bible is a record of God's speech to us, God's words to us, and His actions. So how else are we really accurately going to know God if we don't get into that book that tells us about all that stuff? So our heritage, going back, I want to just keep pounding this home for you so you can keep seeing it here, how important this is to be in the Bible in 2016. Our heritage, going back some several thousand years into Judaism, is a heritage of Bible study. In Judaism, there's something called the Shema. And it's one of the centerpieces, not only of their daily prayers, but of all of Jewish teaching. And uh, you can find the Shema. It's a, it's a saying. It's a, a, a verse. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it says this, Hear, O Israel. That's what the Shema, actually, Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you know what comes immediately after that? This essential, crucial, crux, centerpiece of Jewish teaching. What comes right after that? In the next uh, four or five verses. Let me read it for you. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, in all you do, learn the teachings of your faith. Teach them to your kids. Talk about them when you're out and about. Right? Whatever you do. Knowing the teachings of our faith has always been vital. Judaism is the roots of all that we believe. It's never been optional. So there are lots of, of Bible reading plans, again, for you to follow. You don't have to follow a plan. 
You know, I just want to encourage you, if, if it's a couple of times a week, I really think something daily is ideal. Even if you struggle to find time, you can pop it in a CD player while you make breakfast or something. If time is just that crunched for you, you can do that. There's um, audio Bibles, all kinds of stuff that we have available to us today. Um, but if you don't like following a plan, just open up to a psalm and read a psalm every day. You know, or, or, or jump in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and just a few verses a day and kind of make your way through Matthew or, or, or the Gospel of John. And just observe Jesus as he lived his life and as he interacted with people. It will change you. Let me know if you need help with this. I really want to be a resource to you in this. But as you read or listen to Scripture, wherever you are, look for Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, you'll find him if you look. Jesus is there. And so much of what's in the New Testament points back to the Old Testament. And as you understand the Old, you'll understand the New. As you understand the New, you'll understand the Old. It's all woven together. A second thought for you, really quick. These will be much shorter. Okay, first one, spending time in the Word, okay? 2016, make that a priority. It's absolutely essential to you growing in your faith and your walk with God this year. Spend time, this is the second one, spend time with your spiritual family, okay? Look at verses 11, 12, and 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So when you receive Christ, which biblically speaking, when you receive Christ, what that looks like, it's, an act, it's a decision, right? It's not something that kind of just evolves over time. Your experience with Jesus, your understanding of who you are and who Christ is, that might happen over time, but there comes a point in time when you say, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. It's a, it's a very proactive decision. And receiving Christ, um, biblically, we've, we've heard about John the Baptist in this passage. You hear about John all throughout these first couple of chapters in the book of John. And then you're going to see Jesus in, in John 3 with Nicodemus. And what's he talking about with Nicodemus? Being born again, right? That famous passage of Nicodemus is like, how do you go back into your mom's womb and be born? What are you talking about, Jesus, right? All of that stuff, right? But the point is, the idea of receiving Christ is a decision. There's repentance. Some change happens. Some new birth happens. Something very dramatic happens. So you receive Christ. You repent. You acknowledge your need for a Savior. And you surrender your life to Jesus completely. And you're born again. That's receiving Jesus. And when that happens... In that way, you become part of a new family. Suddenly, you have a spiritual family. And biblically, actually, in many ways, the spiritual family takes priority over the, the uh, biological family, which is bizarre and hard for us to understand. Jesus is walking along a road with a man one day, and a guy said, Jesus, before I follow, uh, follow you, will you let me go and bury my father? Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. That's a hard teaching. What did Jesus mean by that? I don't know exactly. I mean, it sounds harsh to us, doesn't it? But I think his point is, like, if you're following me, it comes at the expense of everything else. You follow me first, and you figure the rest out later. That's his point. It takes absolute priority. So your spiritual family becomes your family, really, in many respects. So when we come to him now, we are now in his family. So one way we can grow in 2016 in our faith is by spending more time, whatever that looks like for you, I know schedules and challenges, but trying to find a way to spend more time with our spiritual family. 
So plugging into a small group, you'll notice in our, on the back of your uh, insert there, we've got, we've got a small group now almost every day of the week. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. God has really done something in 2015 to start some new groups. We've got a lot of good small groups going. So days, of the, we've got ones during the day, ones during the evening. We've got almost every day of the week covered now. So during the week or weekends, there's an option for you. So I want to encourage you to get involved in a small group. That's a great way you can connect with others in your spiritual family. Volunteering, serving, right? Laura prayed earlier about our need in children's ministry. People, we have a lot of kids at this church now. And very, 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 very few people are helping. It's not guaranteed they're going to stay. That's the sad thing. So we need people to volunteer. The people aren't just going to hang out, hang out, hang out, hang out. They can babysit at, at home, right? We need people to help. We need people to say, I want to carry this burden of, of loving these kids and watching these kids so the parents can worship or teaching these kids and training these kids up, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Volunteer, serve, plug in. There are opportunities everywhere. If you're looking for one, I could easily find you one. It's, there's places all over, the, all over the place for you to serve. We've, we've been given spiritual gifts, all of us, right, in this, in this body. If you're a believer, God has given you gifts through the Holy Spirit. We have a test on our website. It's actually got the link there on, on the back of your insert there as well. That you can go and you can take it. And it will tell you a little bit about the gifts that God has given you. Again, assuming you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have those gifts of the Spirit. And you can take those gifts and that knowledge and it will help you say, well, maybe this is where I should be involved. Maybe this would be a good place for me. If you have questions about that and don't know, how do I apply the gift of prophecy? Or how do I apply the gift of teaching or discernment or wisdom? I can work with you on that. I can pray with you on that. Or I can get you to someone who can. Okay? So you've got gifts. Plug in. Volunteer. This is another way to spend some more time with your spiritual family. And there are many other ways. Let me give you one more example here that I feel very, very strongly about. And that is, it is one place, I think, um, where our church really needs to grow. And I don't mean this to condemn or to, be, uh, to upset anyone at all. Because um, our church has many, many, many strengths. But this is not one of them. We have a lot of people here who need to be mentored. And this goes back to the children's ministry. If you're an older person and you have a lot of experience walking with God, you have a lot of life experience, spend some time with some of these younger people in this church. You don't have to know them that well. Maybe get to know their parents, get to know someone in their life. Say, hey, can I take your kid out to lunch? I'd love to do that. Or just go up to the kid say, hey, can we get some time? Or find a way to connect with them one-on-one. Okay, and if we're not doing that, get together with some of your other brothers and sisters, maybe someone in the church that you don't know that well, and try and build a deeper relationship with them in the Lord. You don't have to be super serious. Let's get into the Greek and the Hebrew and really, you know. You don't have to do that, though that might be good. Um, Go see a movie, right? Go see a movie. Go skiing together, right? Go shopping, whatever it is that you like to do. But spend time with people in your spiritual family and get to know them, okay? What? What? <laughs> I got the J.C. Penny one. <laughs> All right. So every David needs a Jonathan. Every Paul needs a Barnabas or a Luke. Every Martha needs a Mary. Okay. 
So get together. I really want to encourage y'all to think about mentoring some of the young people here. They could really use it. And the stuff our ki- the kids are facing in our area these days is, is atrocious. And they really need some stable, grounded, godly, experienced people in their lives to walk through this stuff with them. And y'all are all here. And we've got a ton of that. We've got a ton of little ones and a ton of older ones. Right? This should work. Okay? So I'm trying to matchmake here, okay? The matchmaking pastor. All right. These relationships are vital to the church's long-term growth and to lasting on into the future. But it's also essential to your growth. So it would be good for you to do this on both ends, for the, for the younger and for the older. Okay, last point. Thank you for bearing with me in this. Um, in 2016, labor to show grace to yourself and to others. Okay? This is a big point. Labor to show grace and forgiveness to yourself and to others. Our passage goes out of its way almost, it seems, today to emphasize that in Jesus Christ, the grace of God has been made manifest to us. Verse 17 says again, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why does it say that? Why does it say that? I think it's trying to emphasize something, right? Maybe the, the general error of old Judaism that John is speaking out against here is that to make it all about law and rule keeping. I don't know. But Jesus was a man of profound grace. It's amazing. You go read his life, you cannot but be struck by how gracious and forgiving and patient and loving this man was. He revealed to us a God of grace. This year, let us resolve, can we, as a church, resolve to show grace to other people. Let us resolve to not seek revenge. Let us resolve to not talk about each other. Let us resolve to listen better. Let us resolve to forgive those that have hurt us. I just want to say, the reason, okay, Pastor, how is this helping us in our walk with God? Of course, it's a very general commandment or whatever to do this. But I think it's going to help you grow because of this. It's extremely difficult. There's maybe no harder thing than to really forgive somebody from your heart. Really forgive somebody who's hurt you. There might be no more difficult thing. Jesus Christ, however, in Matthew said this. So it's hard on the one hand, but I want to paint how serious it is on the other hand. Chapter 6, verse 15, that if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your Father in heaven will not forgive you either. So it's extremely hard, but extremely necessary. The gospel message is that while you were sinners, while I was a sinner, and you were a sinner, Christ died. Not after we cleaned our act up and got it all together and figured it all out. Christ died for you when you were a total mess. And when I was a total mess. And He made a way for us to have fellowship with God once again. He loved us and forgave us in Christ. If we've received that message as the most important and defining message of who we are, how can we not forgive people? That's the point, right? That's why it's so serious to Jesus. Jesus says, if you can't get that, you must not know me. You must not be following me. It's so contrary to the gospel message that Jesus says, if you cannot forgive, then I will not forgive you either. Of course, the caveat is this, that Jesus, of course, knows it's difficult. And Jesus is a God of grace. 
And so confess it. Lord, I'm having such a hard time forgiving this person. Please forgive me. Help me. And in doing that, you're going to grow. You see the point? It's hard to forgive people, so it pushes you back to God. God, I cannot do this. That person did this to me. Maybe for some of you ladies, you know. I have someone very close to me who's been raped many times before. You want to talk about being difficult to forgive. That is hard to forgive. Maybe you've got a dad that abandoned you. It's never there for you. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a mom. I don't know what the issue is. It's difficult. Go to God. It'll drive you to the Lord. And He'll tell you about His love and His grace and how He's forgiven you. And you'll grow and you'll mature. And you'll find it. In time, you'll find, with God's help, the ability to forgive others. So the more we go back to these truths about God's grace and who He is, the more we'll grow. And the more we grow, the more we'll be empowered to show grace to others. Do you see that pattern, that cycle there? That's why I think in 2016, let's show grace. Let, let that be a, a point of application for us, okay? To show grace and love to others. Okay. I'm done. I'm going to read us a hymn here. This is my prayer over us as a church, okay, for 2016. It will be these words of, of a hymn, I'm going to say. And then we'll jump into our Lord's, Lord's Supper here, and, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. So, I love this hymn, and I think it just says it so well. So I'm just going to pray this over us, okay? More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn. Let us learn, Lord. More of His holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus in His Word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing His voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More about Jesus on His throne, riches and glory all His own. More of His kingdom, sure increase. More of His coming, Prince of Peace. Amen. So let all that be our prayer as we move into 2016.